Good morning, family. Whether you're a member, a regular, or first-time viewer, a warm, heartfelt welcome to you. As part of today's service, we're going to give you a quick Faith Farmers update and share a story about the difference that your money is making. So whether you give to Faith Farmers or you're hearing about it for the first time, stay tuned to find out more. Also, today is Pentecost, the day we remember and celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. With that great gift in mind, let's focus on Him through worship.
and every heart and every hope You are so
yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen oh yours is the kingdom yours is the
the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen yes yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever Yes, Father God, yours is the kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. The power is yours, the glory is yours forever and ever and ever. Amen.
Stop! 
never stop working when things don't make sense he never stops working yes. when you are in the pit oh, he hasn't stopped working before the King of Kings, the Holy One, the Rose of Sharon. We say, holy, holy, holy is the King. Holy, holy, holy is the King. Holy, holy, holy is the King. You are holy, you are holy, you are holy. King of kings. King of kings. All the saints and angels before the land of God and see all the saints and all the saints 
Rise, day and night, 
Yes, Lord, we lift up your name. We exalt you. We glorify you. It is our privilege to live our lives in the context of your greatness, of your lordship, of your rulership. Thank you, Father, that you are so good to us. We love you. We worship you. We pray, Lord, that as we continue with this time together in worshiping through the word, that you would bless us and that your presence will continue to be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, I'd like you to uh, give as the Lord has directed you in your hearts to give and in your response to what the scripture says. Uh, just the information will be on your screen right now and just make use of either the bank account or SnapScan and give and give freely as the Lord has led you. Once again, we want to take a little bit of time during a service to give you a faith promise update. Every term we take some time and we just pause for a moment and we share with you what's happening in the Faith Promise Fund. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with Faith Promise, it's a fund that our community gives to by faith that is beyond their tithes and offerings. The money that is then given to this faith, uh, this fund we use uh, for projects and partnerships to make a difference across the street and across the globe. And um, today I want to just thank you as Hatfield for your amazing generosity. You know, our, our fund runs from beginning September, it started September 2020 and runs till August of uh, 2021. And um, we are right on track with, our, with the giving and we actually looks like we're going to have a little bit more than what you pledged. Right now, our budget is uh, up to date is uh, 2.8 million and we've already received 3 0.4 million rand as, as you have given so generously faith promise. And that enables us to do even more than what we thought we would be able to do. Today I want to hand over to Mabatu. She's one of our pastors and she's going to share a story with you about one of our partner ministries and the difference they're making in their own community and in other places beyond themselves. So over to Mabatu. The Faith Promise team recently invited me to join them for a visit to one of our partner ministries, Siapila Community Development Project, which is headed by Nondumiso Pasha, a member of our church family. The story behind this ministry is one of obedience and using the little in your hands to bring change. Nondumiso heard the Lord direct her to leave her nursing career to go and serve communities. Her community work includes helping two villages in Limpopo to discover the health and economic value of the teas that their elders had been drinking for generations. The collaboration between these two communities birthed Sejong Tea Crafters. After about two and a half hours of travel, we arrived in the village of Hamatala Ramoshebo. As always, we were warmly welcomed by the women who had gathered to sing us through the gates on this occasion. Small colorful hearts are the factories where the teas that have been harvested are ground and packaged. It is a hive of activity. So many of the younger people who had left the villages in the hopes of finding opportunities in the city are now coming back home. 
They are discovering hope, finding work, and are making a difference. Everyone wants to be part of a success story brought about by obedience to God. Nondomiso and the Siapila team are committed to spirit-led community development which leads to life change, socio-economic impact, restoration of dignity and hope. Seeing the impact of this project for myself, I was once again humbled and so grateful that our faith promise money contributes to something that makes such a big difference. Your faith promise giving brings real change across the street and across the globe. Well, thank you for that amazing update from Faith Promise. We're so blessed to hear about that. Today, we're continuing on with our series that we've started just a couple of weeks ago entitled Overflow. And I think it's so apt on this Pentecost Sunday that we're celebrating today the overflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to share a message with you that I've entitled Overflow in the Desert. And um, I want to start uh, my message by just making this statement that God made us to live in paradise. God created mankind to live in a place of overflow, a place of abundance, a place of muchness, if I can use that term. The beginning of the story of the scripture and where man begins, man begins in the Garden of Eden that is a paradise. Right there with God in a place of abundance. The scripture tells us how amazing this place was. In Genesis 2 verse 8 to 9 we read, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So we see here that, that Eden, this this paradise that God created was an aesthetically fantastic, beautiful place to be in. Everything was good to the eye. It was also a really fantastic place to live in, in terms of just the, the pleasures of the food that, they, that it had and the wonderful fruit and everything they were able to eat and enjoy in that place. So man started his journey with God in a paradise. But not only did we start our journey in paradise, we will end our journey in terms of the end of the story, but we will actually continue the rest of our lives in paradise, in heaven that is also a type of paradise. And that we read about in Revelation 7, verse 15 to 17. It's one of the scriptures that this describes for us our eternal life with God. They are the, before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat on the, down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe, wipe away every tear from their eyes. A, a, another way the Bible just describes for us this idea of eternal life that will be like a paradise, a, a sense of paradise with God. So that's why I make this statement. We were made to live in paradise, in the abundance of the goodness of God. But how many of you know that's not always our experience today? So often today, we feel like there's such lack all around us. 
We live on a planet with resources that are limited and that are running out. And we feel the, the tension, the, the stress of, of that. We feel the, the, the battle that's going on for, for, for space for people, for resources for people. We, we now face pandemics and the, the struggles of managing that. And all happens within the context of this, this world that just doesn't feel right now like it's a paradise. Um, and every now and then we, we get glimpses of it, but it's, it's more described probably by some other words that we can use. And I'll, I'll share a little bit about that later. Now, why is that the case? If we were made to live in paradise, why is our current experience not that? And that's where the story of the Garden of Eden is so important for us to, to pay attention to. Because in the, in the Garden of Eden, in this paradise where God created man to live in paradise with him. And God would have the habit of, of every day in the cool of the day, that beautiful time of the day. Sort of probably just before sunset, he would come and walk with him in this paradise and have great relationship with Adam and Eve. But at some point, they believed a lie. And this is the lie that Adam and Eve believed. They believed the lie that they could have paradise on their own. Or even possibly that they could make paradise better. Because remember the story of, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in Genesis is how the snake came and told Eve, did God really say? And he started planting doubt. And, and one way to interpret what happened in that situation when Adam and Eve ate of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is they were, they were really saying this, that they were saying, man, we love paradise. We love paradise. It's so fantastic to live in this place. But you know what will make paradise even better? Is if, if it is our paradise. If we can own it. Then we think it will even be better. They, they, they thought that the one thing missing in paradise is that they could have it the way they wanted to have it. That they could own it. That it could be theirs. That they could shape it according to their thoughts and the desires. And in that sense they were saying to God, we think we can do a better job of paradise than what you have done. And so when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they, they basically said, we will figure out how life works best without God. We're going to recreate. We're going to make paradise for ourselves. And, and that's the lie the devil sold them. The devil sold them a lie that they thought they could improve on what God had done. They loved the land, but they didn't want the landlord. That's essentially what they were saying. Now, the problem that they didn't recognize with this course of action that they took is that ultimately paradise exists because God is. You cannot have paradise without God because God is the giver of life. That place that they were in, the Garden of Eden, and heaven one day that we will spend eternity in is paradise exactly for the reason that, it, that God is in the midst of it, that it is with God. Paradise, I want to say, is where God is. You cannot find paradise without God. And when I say it is where God is, I'm not, meaning, I'm not referring to God's presence as his omnipresence, as in God is everywhere. When I say where God is, what I'm meaning is it is the place where God is the ruler, where God is the authority, where life is lived according to God's patterns and laws. Where, where it, and we use a scriptural term for that. It's God's kingdom. You cannot have Paradise, the place of abundance, the place of life without having God. 
In Psalm 64, the psalmist particularly captured this so well for us in Scripture. And I just want to read you two of the psalms where the psalmists did this and they expressed this thought. Uh, in Psalm 65, verse 4, Blessed are those who choose you, blessed are those you choose, sorry, and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple, saying where God is, there is where the good things is. Remember last week, Natasha said, when she spoke, uh, two weeks ago, sorry, when she spoke about overflow, she said, so often we think peace, for instance, is, some, is a product that God gives. But peace is for us possible to receive because we receive God, because God is peace. And he, where his presence is, there is peace. And so it is with abundance. So it is with living in a place of, of paradise. It is paradise exactly because it is ruled by God because he is the owner and the, the, the author of paradise. Psalm 30, 73, verse 25 to 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist tapped into that thought and he, and he recognized that this earth without God has nothing good to offer. That everything that we have that is good comes from God. He is the giver of all good gifts, the scripture says. So where, where God is, there is paradise. And that's the mistake that Adam and Eve did not know that they were making. That's where they were, they, they were sold a lie, that you can have paradise without God. And they believed it, and they thought that they could recreate paradise and have their own paradise that, that belongs to, to them. It's like, I don't know if you've seen these stories of people that, that see an animal in the wild, and they think, wow, that's such a beautiful, fantastic animal. I think if I have one, it will be better than coming to visit some park where the animal is or some you know, natural place to see this animal. I want my own one. I, I want to own my own. That'll be better if, if I can have one myself. And then like some really silly people would get like a lion cub, you know, little lion, and they think, oh, it's so cute. Oh, it's so fantastic. It's so beautiful. And then they get this little lion and they bring it home and it's, oh, it's so fantastic. We've got our own lion and, you know, it's such a great conversation starter and everybody comes and visits and, oh, the cute lion and everything. But the problem is the lion doesn't stay cute and small. It starts growing up. And one day people started to real, start realizing, I don't know what to do with this lion anymore. This lion's becoming a bit too much to handle. He, he's starting to size me up. He looks at me with hungry eyes. And uh, I, I don't know if, if my relationship with the lion is changing right now. And, and it needs too much. I can't take care of it. And then so often these animals get dumped in, in rescue centers and rehabilitation centers and have to get looked after because people thought that they could have something, but ultimately they couldn't handle it. And that's what Adam and Eve was doing. They thought they could handle being in charge. They thought they could do it. That's the lie the enemy sold them and they believed. And so when they fell in the Garden of Eden, the scripture tells us God banned them from the garden. Actually put an angel at the gate to make sure they never come back into the garden again. And he put them outside of the garden. And that's why today you and I are experiencing this world as not the paradise that God created it to be, and not the paradise that we will see in the new heaven and the new earth again. But right now, we live in a different kind of place because we're not living in a place where God's rulership is completely established. 
God is omnipresent in this world, but his rulership is not present everywhere. We now live in a world where we as man are trying to recreate paradise and make our own paradise. And we're just not able to do it because without God, you cannot have paradise. In fact, what you end up having with, without God is, is what is described in the scripture often as desert or wilderness. The word desert or wilderness is used over 300 times in the scripture. And, and the imagery is to create this, this antithesis, this, this contrast between this life and world that we experience now and the context of this world versus this paradise that God created us to live in and that we will spend eternity within. That right now we are in a desert experience, a, a wilderness wandering, you can say. And the scripture often talks about the wilderness. And uh, you can think about it, how many times the wilderness is mentioned in the scripture. And most of the time it's, it's in this, this imagery that it carries, this concept, this picture of we were made for paradise, but now we live in the wilderness. Now we live in the place that is not abundant, that is not overflowing, but it is dry. The place that we struggle to find that which we need for life, that which we need to sustain us. We, it's hard work, and, and it, it, it relates to the curse that God put on Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where he put it on Adam particularly, where he said, you know, the, the, the earth you will struggle to produce from the earth. It's by the toil of your labor. In paradise, you know, it's like those amazing places that you still find where you just stick a stick in the ground and it starts growing. It's so fertile. It, you know, it's not hard to produce the fruit that we need. God put it all there in paradise. Now we live in a world where the ground is hard. There's thorns. There's thistles. There's things that work against us. We have to really put in lots of effort to produce the fruit that we need. And then the fruit spoils and and life is just hard. We experience it as that. But it is ultimately because God is not in charge. God is not having his way in this world. In fact, we live in the, in the world where through the agency of, of the lies and the schemes of the devil, mankind is destroying this world. In Isaiah 40, 14 verse 17 and Isaiah 14 big portion of scripture that describes Lucifer and who he is in verse 17 it says the following the man who made the world a wilderness who overthrows its cities and could not and would not let its captives go home there's this force there's power in this world not all powerful but yet very powerful force in the world that right now is there to destroy and take us away from paradise and make this world a wilderness, to make this world a place of struggle, uh, a place of intense experience of pain and struggling. And remember, Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, he, and he's, he's breathing death. And right now, that's the context you and I live in. And that's the context of this world, this, this desert so what do we do if we want to return to paradise? How do we get back to paradise? If we started and if we were made for paradise, and if eternal life for those that are in Jesus will be paradise, then, but right now we're living in this desert wilderness. How do we get back to paradise? How do we return to paradise? And the answer to that is a simple answer, but not an, not an easy answer. The answer is you have to return to God. You have to return to Him as your Lord, 
and your ruler. You have to submit your life to him. And Moses, for instance, understood this very well. If you remember the story of the of Israelites, they were in, in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. Slaves, having a really difficult experience. Life was very hard. Then God said, I heard the cries of my people, and he brought them out of Egypt. And he took them and he said, I'm, I've got a promised land for you. That promised land was promised already to Abraham. Uh, and God said to Abraham, I will give your, la- your, your descendants a land to live in where they will flourish, a land that will overflow. And so the Israelites were journeying from captivity in Egypt and they were journeying towards this promised land, this place that God had wanted them to live, which would, would have a sense of paradise, not complete paradise, but a sense of paradise where they could flourish and experience him and live in his presence again. But there came a point where, where the Israelites were struggling to believe for this promised land and, and to do what was necessary to get to this promised land. So in Exodus 33, we read where, where they, they just before they're going over into the promised land, after having sojourned in the desert for 40 years, wandering in this wilderness experience, now God wants to take them from the wilderness, from, the, uh, from this difficult, intense experience in the wilderness into the promised land. But they're complaining, they're arguing, they're wrestling with it. And so God says to Moses in Exodus 33 verse 3, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. God, God basically gives Moses permission to say, Cross over the Jordan, go into the land of flowing, go into paradise. But then he says this, But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. God is saying, I'm fed up with these people, Moses. They, everything I've done for them, they, they just don't get the message. They don't, they don't believe in me. They keep on turning away from me. They, they, they just, I'm fed up with them. So he says, take them into the promised land. You know, like a, like a parent that finally relents when a child keeps on nagging them if they can go out. And the parent says, no, you can't go out. No, it's, you know, and the, the child, and then the parent eventually says, man, just go. God is like, just go. And he says to them, just go. But go, I'm not going with you because I might do something to you. And, and so often that's the temptation. We want the promised land, but we've got to remember you cannot have the promised land without the promised giver. And Moses understood that. So in verse 15, he responds to God and he says, Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses knew no promised land is possible without the promise giver. Because even if it is a promised land, the moment Israel stepped into it, because of their stiff neck, this rebellion, they were going to start destroying and changing that promised land into a desert and a wilderness again. It is only by living with God and in the submission to God and under the lordship of God that they could have paradise. So Moses says, listen, I'm not going any further if you're not going with us. And that's how we gain back paradise is when we recognize that God is everything we need and everything we need is in Him. That He is the author and the giver of life. And when we, when we say, I will not go without you. The desert, though, is a very important place for us in our journey. 
The desert is often the place where we remember God. We all have desert experiences. We all go through times where things are hard and things are tough. But you know what often happens in the desert? It's the place where we remember how much we need God. It's the place where we, we become hungry for Him again. It's like the, the psalm that says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. It's in the desert that we begin to thirst, that we begin to long again for God. This was certainly the, Israel's, the, Is, um, the people of Israel's experience through this uh, exodus that they had from Egypt through the 40 years in the desert. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 1 uh, to 3, we read the following. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land, the promised the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God is saying to us in the desert, he reminds us that the only thing that will sustain us is our relationship with him. That is ultimately what we need. That no food, no, no abundance can give us what we need. What we need is him. And that's why even Jesus, remember he quoted the scripture when Jesus was led into the desert after he was baptized. And he was tempted by the enemy. And the enemy wanted Jesus to give in. To believe that it's possible to have paradise without God. And Jesus quoted this and said, Man shall not live by bread alone. And we must remember that we will not live by this earth's uh, material uh, presentations to us. We will not find what we need ultimately in this earth. We cannot recreate paradise. We, we don't, that doesn't mean we're not trying. I mean, as mankind, we're consistently trying to recreate paradise. We, we continue in this lie and we just seem to not be able to learn the lesson that you cannot have paradise without God, that you cannot have the promised land without the promised giver. We just seem to not be able to, to learn that. In our pride, in, in, our, in, our, in our arrogance, our stiff-neckedness, we keep trying to reproduce paradise without God. We think that through you know, exploding knowledge, we're going to have paradise. Or through our technology, we're going to have paradise. Or through our legal systems, we're going to recreate paradise. And, and we try. And, and, and look, sometimes we get... A little bit of it right. Because we're made in God's image. Because God gave us authority. God gave us creativity. We, we sometimes seem to get a little bit of it right on our own. But the problem is with when we try and recreate paradise, it doesn't last very long. Because the very ones that created ultimately corrupted again. And the corruption enters. And, and because our hearts are evil. And, and we destroy paradise. Um, also, what we build uh, is... It has a little bit of paradise, but if you look at it closely, you'll find that, that many of the leaves are plastic. Many of the leaves are, 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 are sort of make-believe. There's a lot of you know, embellishment that's happening because we're trying to make it look like it's better than what it really is. But it doesn't mean we stop trying. That's, that's, this is our biggest 
problem as mankind is our pride, the scripture says. And it's this pride that we saw in the Tower of Babel that still continues today. We're going to reach heaven. We're going to reach paradise. We're going to do it on our own. But we can't. We cannot have paradise without God. But the good news is, with God, we can have paradise even right here on earth. We can taste paradise. We can see some of paradise re-established here where God, because remember, Eden, this place of paradise was on earth. And so when Jesus said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying there's a sense, not, not completely, not perfectly as we will have in heaven, but there's a sense that we can still produce here on earth paradise that is there because of the rulership of God. That is the kingdom of God. Where God is in charge, where God brings life, there paradise can be experienced. How do we do that then? How do we experience paradise? And that's the joy of what we celebrate today through Pentecost also, is that we, you and I, live today in the place where the presence of God by His Holy Spirit is within us and therefore can spread in this world. And we can see the rulership of God, the kingdom of God, established by this overflow that is in each of us. In Isaiah 41, verse 18, we read, I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Many of these pro promises by Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and of the other prophets that spoke of these, these, these uh, springs in the desert, turning the desert into a paradise um, was relevant to them and what God was doing in their time with the nation of Israel, you know, restoring them as his people. But a lot of it was also a foreshadowing of the fulfillment of that promise that would come when Jesus came to earth. Jesus, the promise giver, would come and live among us and restore and reestablish this possibility of paradise right here with us. And the way he did that is by forgiving our sins and then for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within us and become this fountain of life. Psalm 107 verse 35 he turned the desert into pools of water and the parched grounds into flowing springs. So for you and me as the Christian, as the believer, we see a world around us and we feel its impact. We feel this wilderness, this desert, this harshness, this intense experience of the lack, of the struggle. We feel it. But at the same time, we are also very aware of, of this rivers that are flowing in the desert, of this pools of water that God is busy establishing that, that came about because of Jesus. Because God is here, He is present among us, and He is reestablishing His rulership in every one of our hearts, in our homes, and beyond that, those spaces. God is using us to establish His rulership, the fountains of life. But those fountains of life on, on places that, that we go and visit, they, they are within us. They are truths that we live. We are the fountains of life. And that's what Jesus said in John 7, verse 37 to 38. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. 
The overflow comes from you. If you and I believe in Jesus, the promise giver, and we give our lives to him, and we drink from the spirit of life that is present with us, then from us overflows into the desert life. Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have hope, not optimism, not positive confession, not we think everything's going to be okay, we, we have a positive disposition. That's not what hope is. Hope is a certainty in the reality of God that He is the King on the throne and that when we submit our lives to Him, then His rulership is established in us and can be established through us. We become like these oases these little places of, of life and hope in this desert. Not because of who we are, but because of the presence of God with us. We become these, the, the, the places where there's rivers in the desert. Where out of the dry ground comes bubbling forth rivers that give life. That, that as the scripture often says, that carries its fruit in season and out of season. That, that is always abundant. That is always overflowing. Because... God is the God of overflow. God has no limits in terms of what, who he is and what he's got. He's always got more than enough. And that's why he created paradise, a place of abundance for us to live in. And one day we will ultimately end up with him in heaven and relive this paradise in the new Jerusalem and the, the new heaven and the new earth. Right now, we're in this desert experience which is so useful and powerful to remind us of who God is, where we begin to remember our need for God, where we, we recognize that this world just doesn't have what we need, that this world is not sufficient, that no matter what we do in this world, how hard we work, how hard we try, we will never get what we need, that it reminds us and it brings us back to the, to the looking for thirsting for the water of life. And then Jesus says, if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. And then when we meet Christ, our own thirst is quenched because we recognize, I have found the water of life. But then that water begins to overflow from me. And that water begins to give life to others and to the creation around me. As I establish God's rulership in my own heart and then in every space where God gives me influence and in every context, every front line he sends me to, I am an overflow. And that's what the day of Pentecost was about. Was that we overflow with the life of God. So I want to invite you today to put your faith in this overflow. You may say to me, possibly, but <clears throat> you don't know what I'm going through. Right now, I'm, I'm in the desert. When you speak about the desert and the wilderness, I can relate to that. I'm struggling to relate to the to the idea of abundance and overflow. But I, I understand the desert. And I, I, I completely understand that. I mean, these are tough days with COVID-19, pandemic, the economic stuff we're going through, social struggles, everything that we're experiencing right now, this up and down, you know, third wave that's now coming, particularly in Gauteng, where we're experiencing the third wave and, and so many people that we've lost and death. And it's, it's real, man. It's not, it's not make-believe. It's not, we're not, just thinking we're having a bad experience. We're having a bad experience. It's real. It's not in our minds. It's not, you know, some illusion or temporary, you know, 
mistake that we're having in our minds. It's real. But you and I have to understand that's what a broken world looks like. That's what a world that has fallen into sin looks like. And so, yes, it's real. But the faith thing is to understand that it is reasonable to believe that in God, paradise is not lost, but paradise can be experienced now and for eternity. We live in the place where God is on the throne and where he is the king and where life is lived under his promises. And therefore, we step boldly forward and we say, Lord, let your overflow happen in my life and through my life. So I want to encourage you. Let's stand together in faith today and say, Lord, we will see your overflow. We will experience your overflow in this world so that others can know that you are here and that you are present and can choose to come in under your rulership. So I want to pray with you. I want to pray, first of all, that, that what the desert experience you may be having right now, that you will meet God in that desert. As so many of the stories in the scriptures where people met God in the desert, that you will meet God in the wilderness, that you will be drawn to him. And then secondly, that from that place, an overflow will burst forth in your life. You may have already be a believer that believes in the, in, in the kingdom of God. But there's areas of your life, perhaps that is dried up where there's wilderness. Today, let's bring those things to the Lord and say, here we are, Lord. Let your overflow come. If you've not given your heart to Jesus, if you're not a believer, I want to invite you, come out of the desert, come out of the wilderness, and come into the, into the family. Come into the place of God's provision and God's abundance for you. And at the end of the service, there, we'll, say, we'll put prompts on the screen of how you can respond. But right now, let me pray with you. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you are present, that you are with each of us this morning as we are partaking in this message. Lord, we, we recognize that the desert, the wilderness is real. We recognize that there are real problems that people are facing, real struggles, that there's real issues of difficulty in this world. But Lord, we turn our heads and we look to you. And we say, but your promises are even more real than that. You are the giver of life. And you have called us towards the place of your abundance. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. And so, Lord, we, will re we refuse to let this wilderness, this desert... Be the place where we get trapped in. We experience it. We live in it. But we turn our heads to you, Lord. And we put our faith in your abundance and in your overflow right now in Jesus' name. I want to pray for people that are having intense wilderness experiences. I pray that in that place of the wilderness right now, that they will be, their hearts will be lifted, their eyes will open, their ears will open, and they will look for you, and they will find you in the desert, and they will remember how much they need you, and they will remember how good you are, and they will remember the promises that you have made. Come, Holy Spirit. Remind us right now in the desert of the presence of God. That man shall not live by bread alone. We need you, Lord. Remind us, I pray in Jesus' name. And then I pray, Lord, as we turn towards you, 
that you would work within us, that the overflow of your spirit will take place in our lives, that so that by your spirit, by the moving of your spirit, and as we, as we are moved by you, Lord, that we will experience the, the paradise of overflow, of abundance in our own lives, in our own attitudes, in our own mindsets, in our own hearts, in our own thinking, in our faith, Lord, that there will be an overflow that will burst forth so that from that place others will be impacted and be shown the overflow of the presence of God. And I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that as a community, we are in a place of overflow. And we stand in it by faith, Lord. We call your overflow in our midst. We say, Holy Spirit, on this Pentecost, may you overflow in our community. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for letting me be with you today, sharing with you. May the Lord bless you. Have a fantastic week.